Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Sri Lanka is experiencing one of its greatest political and economic crises of its existence, with massive riots sparked by an absolute collapse in the country's economy. Some economists predict that Sri Lanka will be bankrupt by the end of next year. The crisis has deposed at least one president with new calls for a regime change. On today's program and continuing next week, Accent of Women seeks to understand the background and causes of the current situation in Sri Lanka. My guest is Samanthi Gunawadana. Hi, I'm Samanthi Gunawadana. I'm a senior lecturer in gender and development at Monash University, and I'm also a member of the Monash Gender, Peace and Security Centre. Thank you so much for joining me, Samanthi. I mean, there is a lot going on in Sri Lanka at the moment. It's been dominating the international news. um, But basically what we're looking at is a people's uprising against the government. The country is more or less bankrupt. People can't afford to go to work, let alone their wages being able to cover their cost of living. What's the background to this situation, to this dispute, to the uprisings in Sri Lanka? I guess like with every complex crisis, um, there's a lot of different factors that have led to this path. Um, and a lot of commentators that I've listened to uh, have have pinpointed the events of maybe the last two to three years. I would actually take it back even further um, and say that for at least, let's say, uh, 10 years, a decade or so, or just under a decade, that the Sri Lankans have wanted a change in um, in power and politics. And what I mean by that is they have voted for regime changes several times. And what often comes out of those elections is a regime change, but it often reverts back. And it reverts back, ends up reverting back to... Um, people in, who were in power during the conclusion of the war, and by this I'm referring to, of course, the Rajapaksas, um, and in particular Mahinda Rajapaksa, who was president when the war ended in 2009, but also um, his brother Gautabaya Rajapaksa, who was um, kind of the head of the military during the last stages of the war under the leadership of his brother Mahinda Rajapaksa. And he was the president from um, November 2019 until the end of um, his presidency on the 14th of July 2022, which is when um, the People's Uprising um, happened and he was he was ousted. Now, I'm not saying that the, the changes in power um, was because Sri Lankans and the majority of Sri Lankans and Sinhalese wanted to get rid of um, this particular group of power holders because of their military record or because they were dissatisfied with how the war ended and the you know the loss of lives and suffering the human rights violations that um, still haven't been properly addressed and and investigated but what i am saying is that people were really fed up with the way that the system was working in terms of particularly in terms of corruption um, and governance and I think that they really wanted to see new ideas. So just to backtrack a bit, um, President Mahinda Rajapaksa lost the, his election, um, his presidential bid in 2015. 
um, that saw the the election of kind of this strange um, coalition of bedfellows under one of the former one one of his former cronies, um, President Sirisena, that and they also um, formed a power sharing kind of arrangement with the leader of the opposition at the time, who was Ranil Wickremesinghe. And Ranil Wickremesinghe is the current president at the moment. But the, the key point there to remember is that you have this transfer or rollover of power, Rajapaksas to a former Rajapaksa crony working with Ranil Wickremesinghe, who was the leader of the United um, National Party, the UNP, and then they also get ousted. Gaudabaya Rajapaksa comes back into power and the people demand that he also leave. So over the last decade or so, what I'm trying to say is that the people of Sri Lanka have wanted change. They've continuously wanted this change um, and they have been voting out <laughs> certain people, but they just keep coming back, right? So that's one of the factors. I think the country is demanding new leadership, new ideas, less corruption and less cronyism. They're just not being presented with the right type of leaders. So that's one. The second thing, of course, is absolutely inescapable is the economic conditions under which people have been living in. Before the pandemic struck um, in 2019, there was a really horrendous suicide bombing, a series of suicide bombings known as the um, Easter Sunday attacks. And those bombings, I won't go into detail here, but they basically um, shut down a lot of the tourist industry. And as many of your listeners will know, Sri Lanka is a beautiful country where lots of tourists like to go, but unfortunately um, that bombing really put a damper on the tourist industry. So they lost a lot of those foreign dollars and foreign currency um, and, and so on. After that, of course, you have the pandemic, you have lockdowns, you have the economy coming to a halt. The con economy does open up much earlier than Australia and um, people are working in really unsafe conditions and they're getting sick and so on. And, of course, no one is travelling anywhere. The tourism industry takes a big hit, but also leading exporters um, like the apparel sector, the tea sector, uh, sector and so on also struggle, although not to such a great extent. They actually end up making tidy profits. But um, the service sector in particular is struggling. So you have the deepening of that economic crisis and people's livelihoods are obviously threatened. On top of that, we have a situation where the government uh, decides to implement this ban on fertilisers, um, pesticides as a green economic kind of policy um, to promote sustainability. And on paper, it sounds really great, but they did it literally overnight and they banned the use of chemical fertilisers, um, which basically uh, really threatened production, right, agricultural production, and in particular um, rice, rice production. Rice is a staple crop, crop in Sri Lanka and a lot of farmers just didn't want to farm because it was not going to be sustainable for them um, to, to farm with just organic fertilisers. And Sri Lanka became dependent on rice imports for the first time since independence. You also have a situation where Sri Lanka has a lot of debt, external debt. And I know that this often comes up, people say, oh, Sri Lanka has a lot of debt to China. And it is true that 
if you look at the breakdown of external debt, that there is a lot of debt um, to China, but it only makes up about 10% of overall debt, right? And if you look at where the debt, the, the um, majority of the debt is, is um, held, it's actually held in the private, I, I don't know if you, we would call it an equities market, private stocks and bonds, meaning it's a large transnational global corporations, the private entities that own the majority of Sri Lanka's debt. And most of those corporations are have their origins in the West, in places like the US and um, Europe. So Sri Lanka defaults because their revenues have gone down so significantly over the um, you know, last few years. They, they're basically defaulting and they don't have any money to pay their external debt. And then the government starts to introduce really restrictive policies. They start to, you know, limit the amount of um, dollars going out of the country um, and so on. So you have a, a situation where uh, the country is in really terrible economic circumstance. People, ordinary people are suffering. They've lost it, particularly vulnerable populations. They've lost work. They've lost hours. Inflation is rising. As we know, it's a global story. Inflation is rising around the world. The war in Russia and the Ukraine is playing out. It puts a real um, pressure on global supply of, of everything from fuel and other energy sources and, um, and, and food like wheat, of course. So it's, it's a crucible of crisis. And unfortunately, the Sri Lankan community had to bear the brunt of. And so they were really dissatisfied. It seemed that the government weren't really interested. Um, they continued to, to live a good life. If you look at the, the, the former president's family, you know, they were all over Instagram posting about their wonderful life and parties and, and all of the rest. And I think people just had enough. And it, the, the protest originally started off as a, as a smaller scale protest uh, in Colombo and it spread, it rapidly spread um, around the country. There were smaller protests everywhere, particularly in, I would say, in the um, kind of the, the singular held regions. And then the protests also did also um, eventually spread to the northeast as well, where the, 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 the more majority Tamil populations live. But people just couldn't maintain their standard of living. And what you saw in that period, and you would have also, what, what really struck me about the protest was that one of the earliest symbols that was being shared on the internet and, you know, memed and so on was a picture of a woman with a baby sleeping on her shoulder. Um, it, it's holding up a, a light, a candle at the protest. Now, originally that meme was actually a photo of a woman with the baby at the protest holding up her mobile phone, but it was edited and stylized in a particular way. But I think it is really significant that women and children and people were bringing their children to the crisis, um, to the protest, because I think that the, the economic impact had vast repercussions for people's everyday lives um, in the sense that when you have a shortage of fuel and um, you have a shortage of, of let's say, uh, cooking fuel, it was the women who were really suffering um, and then they, they would have to go and stand in line for gas canisters. You saw massive queues forming 
just to pick up a canister of gas, which a lot of people use um, in their home stoves and so on. Um, you saw shortages of medicine. Uh, people couldn't get adequate med medical care. People couldn't go to work because there was no petrol. People couldn't go to school. The kids were back at home. Um, it is, it's just, it, it has been an unmitigated, like just completely. Um, well, it's been it, a crisis. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. Today's show focuses on the current economic and political crisis in Sri Lanka. And my guest is Samanthi Gunawadana. So you did mention um, that Raniel Wickramasinghe is the current um, leader in Sri Lanka. And of course, that came about because Gotabaya Rajapaksa resigned amidst a call for his resignation. Mm -hmm. But you also explain that this is just more and more of the same, the same people with the same political and um, financial interests continuing to take power in Sri Lanka and continuing to maintain the same economic interests, um, which are basically stealing from the people of Sri Lanka. So even though Raniel Wickramasinghe is there because the um, call for Gotabaya to resign was successful, are people now calling for Raniel Wickramasinghe to 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 leave as well, and and actually, are they now calling for a, a like a revolution, like a regime change? What are they calling for? It's divided. So, um, what has happened after the pro? So the protest was known by two names. One was Gota Gogama, which means Gota being Gotabaya Rajapaksa Go Gama, meaning village. Right, so the village was set up to get rid of him, and then you had the Aragalia, which is a wider protest or people's movements, which basically it's like a people's movement um, protest, and it's a peaceful movement as well. That was that was really stressed throughout that protest. What happened? As I said, it was started by a small group, which then spread. It spread to different social classes, different generations. I saw people on my Facebook feed who I've been friends with for a very long time who probably have never, you know, participated in a political rally in their life were going out in those last days of the protest. They were all out. They were all marching in Colombo. And what was really, I think, inspiring and hopeful for a lot of people at that time was the sense of unity and um, the sense of unity across class, ethnic, religious, and gender lines as well and generational lines. Um, and it was just, it was a really, it was a sense of solidarity that had, I feel, had not been seen in Sri Lanka for a really long time, um, partly because of the war, but also you have to remember that Sri Lanka is a really variegated country in the sense of class relations, wealth, um, and so on. So after after the ousting of the Rajapaksas, um, there was widespread, I would say, celebration that the Aragalea was successful. There was a period of a few days where people were wondering what was going to come next. And what came next, of course, is that Ranil Wickremesinghe, who was ousted in the last election, came to power. He took power. Um, essentially, he kind of um, corralled the existing politicians 
came up with a power kind of sharing arrangement, presented himself as the only person who could negotiate a way forward and in particular negotiate a um, an agreement with the International Monetary Fund because that was the other thing that was looming in this day, in this period. As the Aragalea was unfolding, the IMF had also, of course, been invited into the country to come up with um, a rescue package of sort. This would be, I think, the 16th or the 17th package, IMF rescue package or um, economic package that the country would have seen since independence. And he really presented himself as a way, um, as a person who could negotiate with these types of interests and get a really good deal in a way for the country. And I think subsequently what you saw was a, a splintering and a fact, uh, um, yeah, I would say splintering of the movement. It it fell apart and it broke off into several groups, I would observe. One is the original Aragalia group, which was made up of students, um, youth leaders, artists, you know, actors, um, so the trade unions, some of the trade unions, um, women's groups, uh, groups who had been fighting for land rights, post-war and so on. So there was that kind of group. And then there was a more middle-class, professional, Colombo kind of based group who wanted to give Ronil a chance and actually, I think, believe that he is the best way forward. They were asking and clamouring for an IMF policy rescue package because I believe that this is the first time that many of, the, of them have felt the extent of this type of crisis. Um, that's not to say that, you know, Sri Lankans, all Sri Lankans had to live through really awful, you know, the war, which again impacted people very different, differently. The people in the Tamil Northeast, um, Muslim communities, as well as Tamil um, communities in the plantations or the estate sector in central Sri Lanka have suffered a lot through that experience. Um, but a lot of people in the in the in Colombo, parts of the the south haven't experienced this type of widespread deep suffering, I would say. People in the south, the rural areas, I would say, were also suffering through other forms of violence. There was, there's a lot of history there in Sri Lanka that I can't cover off in, in such a short interview. But the extent of the pain, particularly the food shortages, the fuel shortages, the complete shutdown of daily life was new. And so the middle class, the wealthier classes have put a lot of faith, I would say, in, in Wickramasinghe. And also the IMF bailout. So to answer your question, um, the movement itself has splintered. People are divided about the way forward. There is still a massive call among some sections of the community for Ranil, um, for, for Wickramasinghe to, to step down. Um, and I think that's also been exacerbated because he has cracked down really hard on a lot of the protesters, on the peaceful protesters. Under his rule and under his leadership, he has um, supported the arrest of a number of the student leaders and a number of the activist leaders. And full disclosure, I've, I've signed many a petition 
many an open letter um, over the last couple of months with other, mainly with other academics, but also the diaspora communities in Sri Lanka calling for an end to this crackdown. Um, because the protesters actually led to, number one, I, I find really perverse because, the pro, you know, the protesters helped him get back into power, supported his transition to this um, to this position, but also because there's really no cause for them to be held and charged under laws like the Prevention of Terrorism Act. Um, and some are being just held and questioned for days and not charged with anything and so on. So that's that's where things are at at the moment and um there is there are um, massive calls i think at least from civil society to stop these arbitrary arrests there's also critique coming from some sections such as the you know working class movements um human rights activists and a lot of people working in i guess you could say uh rural land rights Fisher, you know, people um, advocating for Fisher folk and so on, um, calling for a rethink of the introduction of the IMF programs as well. And I keep mentioning the IMF here because Wickramasinghe's his rule is really now associated with the introduction of this rescue package, so-called rescue package. I'm going to pick up on um, this IMF rescue package. I mean, obviously, we know that IMF loans come with austerity measures, and surely the Sri Lankan people could not tolerate or live through even further austerity compared to what they're currently um, living through. What what do people know of what the consequences of an IMF loan are going to be, and how is the country tolerating this? I don't have the most recent version of the um, the package that is proposed. What I do know, based on what the, the comments um, that have been made by personnel representing the IMF, is that they um, have very explicitly said that they want to provide for greater social protection, right? Now, in the, in the, in the old days, I guess you could say, um, of IMF policies, let's say in the 80s and 90s, they would have really said, you just got to cut back on all your welfare measures and you've got to, um, you know, you've got to reduce the, the public sector, you've got to let the private sector and the market take care of all of this. They have kind of scaled back on that rhetoric, um, mainly because I think you can see a lot of their programs have not been very successful, right? Um and austerity is not just now limited to the global south. Austerity programs are recommended everywhere around the world. Um, what happened after the Greek economic crisis, for example, um, is is an example of, of that. But so what? And and the other thing about this IMF program is that um, it's not really going to cover all of Sri Lanka's debt, right? So I think the provisional agreement is for about a two point nine billion dollar loan kind of like a little kick or an adjustment to help um, Sri Lanka kind of restructure its debt, um, negotiate with, with its um, creditors um, and hopefully have, it, it's designed to create a platform where creditors and big players, big political players like China, for example, can come on board and, and have a discussion about the debt while in the short term kind of addressing some of the um, economic issues. 
That's all we've got time for on today's program. That was Samanthi Gunawadhana, Sri Lankan academic based in Melbourne. You can hear the conclusion of this interview next week on Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Music for Accent of Women was written and produced by George Kanjeri. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.